All right. Hello and welcome everybody to the Next Level Quad Pod. We're back with our episode two of our deep dive into data. Uh, I'm Greg and I'm joined as always by Rich, James and Marilyn. What's up, everybody? Hello. Hello. Hi. We're all having a good week so far? All good. Yeah. Yeah. Almost done. Almost done. It's a Thursday night. Mm-hmm. The weekend's on the horizon. Anybody got good plans for the weekend? Anything fun? James, big up, big swim meet all weekend? Not me, my children. I'll be backup timer. I don't like to commit to full time. Not even full time, the official timer. Just I found backup. the hack. Like backup is good. Yeah. Like just in case they need me. Like I'm mean, you're still timing. Like when the gun goes off, you hit it and then just in case someone else's stopwatch doesn't work, then they like call you over. So it's kind of nice. Sounds a like a pressure. Mm, I know. It is. Oh, if you don't I mean it's the kids, if the touchpad, like so they do touchpad, plunger two timers at each uh for each racer plus a backup timer because wow. if a kid doesn't get their time and it's a good time they're gonna be crushed so they do it right i think i don't know i don't know what else to judge it against but mm-hmm. yeah mm. crazy all right uh anybody else fun stuff no nope. we do we do have something fun on the horizon we're all getting tomorrow. sweat tested tomorrow we have uh Consultant from Precision Precision Fuel and Hydration. I don't think I said that very well. Precision Fuel and Hydration coming in to uh, tell us how salty our sweat is. Yeah. Has everybody done their weight tests? Yeah, that, I didn't put them no, into the. Isn't it rich? I didn't that's put them no. into the tracker thing. Okay, mm. they're yeah, written either. down. Yeah, I'm not. T- is, it, is it shared for everybody? Like, is everybody? No, no. I think no. everybody has their own. I weight. think you were supposed to send it to her. Were you no, it's a shared Google. <clears throat> doc, oh, yeah. no? I did the the questionnaire thing. Yeah, yeah. I I just didn't like when I do the numbers. I don't think of where is my file to go put that in, so I just write it down. Yeah, mm. yeah. I didn't like on the questionnaire though. It was like, what products have you tried? And then only you select one. I was like, oh, I've tried most of these. Yeah, on here. Yeah, I think I put whatever one I use most of the yeah. time. Mm. But so it'll be fun. Maybe we'll do a little recap uh, of that. And, and record like what our results were and stuff. And we can talk about some of the recommendations we got and stuff like that. I think there's some valuable stuff in there. Maybe I'm really our, excited. Maybe our listeners can guess uh, who's the saltiest sweater and then maybe uh, we can give away uh, whoever comments, right? We'll, mm-hmm. we'll pick at random a, a free gift to send them. <laughs> and who sweats the most, right? It's not just... That's not a, up for debate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, James. <laughs> I've ridden behind you, James, and gotten a shower. It's disgusting. <laughs> No matter, yeah. Are you just sure never be behind sweat? me yes. in any leg of the race. <laughs> it's dangerous, no matter. Where I you thought are. it was raining. The first, it, no joke. Thought it was, you know, like early in the morning, you get that little bit, or the, like the dew falling off the leaves. So at first, Greg's like, "Oh, this is like so calming." I'm like, no, oh, it was better. Really calming. I'm so connected like, to nature right now. And then he just sees me doing like this. I think it might have been when you wrung out your bandana thing, and it just was pouring out of it. Yeah, so I don't think there's any question about that. Yeah. Um, I'm excited to figure out how much to take in during races. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm going to be just in the middle of the bell curve, I kind of think, based on the numbers from the weight, the scale and stuff and previous. I don't leave salty stains on my shirt mm-hmm. and stuff. I don't have a cramp problem. Mm. I think it's just it's amazing. Average. Rich, you, you cramped. You've cramped. I do. Right? I do. I don't Maryland, know, but do you, I don't know I what the salt is. that one time at AC. Bad. Oh wow! And the, it's never happened again. But I did increase what I was drinking so mm-hmm. after that. So we're gonna have our eyes opened uh, tomorrow evening, and uh, and hopefully find out what the deal is. So we'll we'll definitely do a recap of that uh, once we get that data. Uh, other updates. What do we got? 
Shout out to Yvonne, finally signed up for Wilmington. Mm-hmm. Do, yeah. you, do you think it was a Facebook post on Iron Man's part that got her to do it? She's like, I want to be in that team picture. Probably. Well, <laughs> I sent her the message that said, you're not allowed to miss any more races. And I sent her the picture of the Facebook post. Mm. She had already signed up, though, hadn't she, I think? Yeah, she oh, had. Yeah. The listeners don't know that yeah. now. Oh, sorry. We'll edit that out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So oh, that was kind of loud. Sorry, everybody. Um, so the idea is we're going to pick up kind of where we left off with our uh, dive into all the different analytics and data and stuff that we can we can collect out there. Uh, last week is kind of a recap. We covered heart rate, functional threshold, uh, how to compute your different zones for both heart rate and power, um, how you might incorporate lactate or at least what lactate is and how it sort of delineates those zones. Um, and that took... Uh, pretty much the whole show. So this week, we're going to get into some of the other things. Uh, We're going to talk a couple more metrics that you might want to track and sort of how to pull all those data tracking uh, things together into one sort of coherent picture of where your fitness is at. And then we're going to get into some of the other stuff that you might not normally uh, even think about recording, uh, but it still is going to have a big effect, I think, on what you do for training. So um, I think to start, we talked about a lot of different data yesterday or last week. And one of the things we didn't really talk about then was what to do with it once you've got it, right? Like we, we definitely spent time mm-hmm. talking about how to record it uh, and what the data meant in the moment, like how that kind of stuff. But I, we didn't really talk about what to do with it now that you've got it. So um, what kind of things do you guys do with that data when you... You know, so you go for a bike ride, you go for a run, you hit stop on your watch or your bike computer, and then what happens to it and what do you do with it? So, Rich? I think that data is now computed by some device that you have, some somewhat for some people, but it goes into I use Garmin and Training Peaks. Mm-hmm. And so, what that <clears throat> determines for me is the next few months of my wherever I am and what type of training I am, whether it's base training or peak training, whatever it is. So that's kind of what I use that data for and then test again for the next cycle of training. Mm -hmm. I think for me, it's more valuable um, as real-time data. So if the workout is programmed and it's telling you to hit a certain zone on the run, Mm -hmm. the great thing about uh, having a Garmin watch, it'll just kind of beep its signal to you, letting you know if you're above or below uh, so you know you're hitting where you should be hitting, whatever the stimulus of the workout is or... um, on your bike computer, if you're doing a trainer ride and you've calculated your FTP and then everything mm-hmm. is based off of that. And so you could see your power and, and making sure you're hitting those numbers too. Um, I don't think I'm great at interpreting data and what it all means. I, I kind of leave that to you, yeah. like the professionals. Um, <laughs> you are a professional now, James. <laughs> <laughs> or I hope to be one day, yeah. USAT uh, says you're a professional. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I think it's very useful in the, in the moment to right. get the most out of that training session. Mm-hmm. Marilyn? Um, same as James. I think I look to see how I do at the workout and I'll look at different things to see how my body's doing. If I'm tired, mm-hmm. not tired. Yeah. Greg. Um, so I like to look at it afterwards because <laughs> mm. <laughs> I guess I'm the, the data dork in the group. Mm-hmm. Um, so we talked about, I mean, I think we all kind of use the same two main products, which is the Garmin ecosystem, uh, because we're all using a Garmin, uh, wearable and all on, on you're on a Wahoo bike computer, but yeah. James, but um, 
and then we all put our data into Training Peaks. Uh, Training Peaks is an online platform that kind of compiles your data from everywhere. So it really doesn't matter where you're collecting it, what kind of device you're collecting it on across multiple ecosystems, it'll pull it all in together. And then there's a lot of features within Training Peaks that uh, let you look at your data afterwards um, for as long as you've got data for, right? So you can it, often for me as a coach um, and my own data, I like to look at like the last 90 days or so. That to me, like what have I been doing the last three months? And Garmin has, or Training Peaks has a nice little button that says like, show me this for the last 90 days. Mm. And I can look at just about everything. Um, or you can go back three, six, three, you know, a whole year. You can go back two years. You can look at custom ranges and you can see pretty much everything you've done as long as you've been uploading some kind of data into uh, into their platform. And there's a lot of different things that you can get out of it. Um, I think one of the best, um, but also one that you have to really be careful with is something they have called their performance manager um, chart, PMC, I think it's chart. Who's uh, they? Who's that? Training, Training piece. Yeah. So the, <clears throat> um, I don't know how much historical stuff we want to go into. Training Peak started as a computer-based software you download on your computer. It was called like WKO. Um, and you'd have it on your computer. You'd put your stuff in it and it'd do all this. They're on WKO5 now, but they merged with, or they, all, Training Peaks was an offshoot. I don't know the business side of how things work, but now they went cloud-based and everything can pretty much be done online. That WKO software is now like super in-depth kind of stuff that very few people are going to, um, take the time to want to learn, but you, you know, so training peaks now allows you to upload all this data and then it runs a bunch of analytics on it that allow you to follow stuff. The PMC was something that they started. I think the first iteration of it was probably in like 2005, 2006, when they first came out with this idea of trying to, um, model what your, they called it fitness. Um, but that's probably not the best word to use. So what they did was they tried to assign a score to every exercise you did. And this all originally started with um, power meters on the bike. And so that's where it's probably the most accurate. But they give you this, what's called a training stress score. And we've all seen those numbers, TSS. right? Right, TSS. Mm -hmm. um, that's based, it's kind of a way to measure how hard a workout was. So it's based on um, a 100 point kind of scale, 100 point being one hour at threshold. So if you have your mm. FTP put in perfectly, you ride for an hour at that FTP, you'd earn or you'd get 100 training stress points. But there's a bunch of ways to skin a cat, right? So a two-hour ride that's at an easier effort is going to bring you less, you know, might you know, might still get you 100 TSS points. And so that was kind of the basis of their, the starting point of their model. And then they put a couple of different things into it. They looked at a 42-day rolling average. So it looks at the last 42 days. And I think they add some kind of like degenerative thing to it so like the data from 42 year days ago doesn't count as much as the data from yesterday oh. mm -hmm. so it's like a weighted um rolling average uh and then they so that's kind of like they they called it um your chronic training load or your ctl and unfortunately that one probably gets a lot of people fall into a trap with that and they try and get it as high as they possibly can and they end up either chasing tss through harder and harder workouts that are beyond what they should be doing um, or just trying to crank that CTL as high as they can and they get into an overtrained state. It's really just a measure of what you've been doing for the last you know, month and a half or so. Um, and then they have another one called the ATL or the acute training load, which is the last seven days of same kind of rolling average. 
And then they have something called the TSB or the training stress balance. And it's how close those two are to one another. So if you're, let's say if you're doing, you know, your CTL, your chronic training load is at a hundred and your weekly training load is also at a hundred, then you're level, right? You're, you're doing the same amount of work this past week as you've been doing for the last Mm. six weeks. So you're cruising like that shouldn't be too hard for you. Um, but if your chronic training load is 20, right, you've been doing minimal amount of work, but this past week you're at a hundred. Well, now you've been doing this week has been five times harder than the last six weeks. So you're building that, that TSB number, the training stress balance is going to be way in the negative and you're going to pretty much be hurting. So the idea is, uh, the, the way this was originally designed was, can you use this year after year and learn something about yourself and find out like, Hey, when I get to 85 and I rest for this amount of time, I have some of my best performances. When I go to a hundred, that's just beyond what I can control, what I can handle. And I see bad performances and it lets you over time hone in on what works for you. Unfortunately, people look at it the wrong way and think that everybody should just be going for the highest CTL they can possibly get. And what that leads to is overtraining because you start increasing the intensity of every ride or run or whatever, and you start just working out too hard. Um, but it's a good way to map your training load over a long period of time. Um, and that's kind of, for me, that's one of the most valuable things to look at. Um, I kind of know, like you learn where you do well, uh, and you can try and get to those spots again. So if you want your fitness score in training peaks, maybe this will help our listeners to go up over time. Mm -hmm. What should you be thinking about in terms of the contributors that you need to manipulate? Right. So training stress is calculated by intensity and time. That's it. Right. It's a, it's a measure of those two things. So the only way to get that number to go up is increase one or both of those things. So if you want to bring CTL or your chronic training load, your fitness up, you either have to increase the intensity of your workouts and keep the time the same or increase the time, keep the intensity the same or some combination of those two things. So um, the smarter way to do it is to increase volume, you know, and mm-hmm. not not try and just keep ramping up intensity. So some kind of progressive plan that increases your volume over time will get you that. and. That um, you can go online and read all about ramp rates and how steep those lines should be going up and stuff. That's beyond where we need to be. Um, the idea, if you see too steep of a ramp, you're going to get hurt or sick or something like that. And that's another thing you can learn. Like, oh man, when I ramped at 10 TSS a week, I got sick every time that happened. And this, this software lets you kind of map that stuff out. So. so the great thing about having a coach is if all that just went over your head, <laughs> you can just <laughs> <I> train. <laughs> Record the data, that data gets sent to your coach and the coach can monitor yeah. basically all these signals and see if the load is proper, if you're recovering and then Right, because I think on the free version of Training Peaks, um, you don't even see those numbers. Is that correct? Um, no. I, I don't know. Yeah. The you don't even, even if you do see them, the performance chart has a lot. It's yeah. a yeah, lot so to I, take in. Right. You can also go in and you take can stuff take out. Stuff out yeah. You know, so there's some things that are worth taking out and other things worth putting in. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, Anybody have anything that uh, questions or any, I, I did go kind of, that's my thing, unfortunately. <laughs> it's, it's amazing though. I don't know about amazing. It um, is. It's a gift. But yeah. you will, 
you will not need to know this information as you kind of start right. and do your training right away. The way to get into it more is to accumulate the numbers mm -hmm. for a little bit of time yes. in training Peaks and Garmin and then say, okay, I've got this data. What does it represent to me? And that was the question I asked. What can I manipulate yeah. in order to improve my fitness? And that's what Greg was explaining um, to everybody to, to pay attention to. Um, training Peaks is one of the more popular ones out there. What yeah, are some other options? Other, um, so there's today's plan, um, which I, I have no experience with any of these um, because Training Peaks works and I like Training Peaks and I know how to use it. Um, today's, else, is their logo very similar? Like TP also and <laughs> like same font? That's like, a good, I don't know. Um, and then And yeah. then Final Surge is the other one that's uh, pretty common. Um, Different coaches like to use different ones for different programming purposes and, and stuff like that. They, they're all basically doing the same thing. Training Peaks, though, I'm going to probably get this wrong, but I, I'm going to say invented. The people behind Training Peaks invented the whole TSS, CTL, that metric of measuring load. Um, because I, So I think going back to what Rich was saying, you don't need to be worried about all this stuff, but it is important to track some measure of what you're putting your body under. Right. So the stress you're putting yourself under that TSS does an okay job of doing that. It has its downsides, um, but it's probably one of the better ones out there um, because it used to be you just say, oh, I ran for four hours this week or I rode my bike for 200 miles this week. What do you get at? What does that mean to anybody? Right. Like your 200 miles and my 200 miles could be very different. You live in the Alps and I live, you know in Florida. Um, your time running could be very different from mine. If I'm a new runner who's running 12 minute pace and you're a marathoner who's run, you know, a stud who's running six minute miles, like TSS accounts for those differences. Um, and, and it'll also like, if you're looking at it, training people also show you how many hours you spent yep. training this week, which is interesting. So to kind of add on to what Greg is saying that, you can have a really long week, like you said, long mm -hmm. time, right? And you'd be like, okay, well, next week I don't have that amount of time to train. I have less, but I still want to improve my fitness. So again, you're right. going to increase the load. So this will start to make sense as you as you get more into it. Mm -hmm. I also want to add for our listeners that thank goodness that we've come so far technologically that it's not like you have to start saving files and loading files. Yeah. Uh, these systems... Thank you to all these systems. They've kind of integrated with each other. Yeah. So they allow you, you know, to load from one to the other fairly seamlessly. You don't have to do a lot I mean, of work. I had a, I got a power meter for my bike in um, 2006, I think. And the hassle to get that data was like into something usable was a pain in the butt. Like I would, I, I had to plug in the power meter head unit my, into my computer I had to download the file. I had to then import that file into this WKO software. Um, and I have to email a copy of it to the coach that I was working with who had to do the same thing on his end. And then like it, it just now you hit stop on your watch. And before I take my phone out, like I get the buzz, like your ride is ready to view. Like it's yep. and it's just all there. 
Uh, I remember even having still, to connect the watch yeah, to, the, like, to the computer. computer. And My, then it would... I got what, a really good, earlier than the power meter, I got a really good polar heart rate monitor that I could put download into the computer. But it was through infrared. And you had to like align the watch and the IR reader like it was sat on the watch but didn't connect to it and it had to be perfect or else you'd like lose the download in between it was mm-hmm. unreal how hard that that stuff is we've come so far it's amazing right um so training peaks in addition to doing that kind of stuff also has a ton of other metrics within each file that i think are super useful um one that i really like and i think is a great way to measure um, fitness gains that are, might be things you might not see because they're small um, is something called cardiac drift. Um, so I think Marilyn, you have a couple of pieces on that, right? I do. Um, I don't. I don't get too much into the heart, how the heart functions, and all that. That's, but that's I, fine. I don't yeah, think we. Need I don't think to. we need to. Um, so basically, cardiac drift is just on a let's say on a run. After a certain amount of time, your heart rate starts to increase, even though you're maintaining the same effort level. Um, It's generally believed that that's because your body starts to overheat or dehydration, right? Mm -hmm. And um, it doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean that you have to, let's say if you're going on an easy run, that you have to slow down your pace. It's just happens naturally and it's just your body trying to cool itself. Is there a way that we can control cardiac drift or is it just something that's going to happen? So for example, when I start running, like I notice that my heart rate will go up, let's say it's around about 10 beats per, per minute over time. And we're like, okay, now Mm -hmm. it's not going to, it's going to keep going up. So is there anything um, to do to be able to temper it? Staying hydrated is really the only thing I think that you can do. Yeah, besides fitness gains. Besides fitness gains, right. Yeah. Uh, I, I never realized that because I do notice all my like long runs. It's mm-hmm. it's like this steady yeah. progressive uh, mm-hmm. line that's just going up and up, the especially most, as I'm getting hotter and hotter. Right. And hotter. The most important thing to pay attention to is that your breathing rate and your effort level is mm-hmm. staying the same. Then it's just cardiac drift. Mm-hmm. If you start to feel more out of breath and the effort feels harder, then it's not. Is it a bad joke to say that as you get older, your cardiac drift goes negative and your heart rate's lower and lower and lower? No? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, I don't know. Did I miss anything? No, I don't it's think so. It's fairly, I mean, like, I think it's, but it, So here's where I find it very valuable. It shows you, that the way I think about cardiac drift is, can you handle the load that you put yourself under? Whether that's from a hydration or um, dehydration standpoint, like, if you become dehydrated, your blood gets thicker, your heart has to work harder, it's mm-hmm. going to pump more, um, and you're going to see that in the file. Mm-hmm. Um, but also just from like, if you go out and you do a regular steady state kind of aerobic effort, it can be easy. But if you go long, eventually your body's going to be like, I can't really do this for much longer. For much longer. And you're <clears throat> going to see that increase in the heart rate. So Training Peaks does it where it looks at the first half of your ride or run and the average speed versus heart rate there or power versus heart rate it depends on what whether you know if you're we've got a power meter it's going to look at power Mm -hmm. versus heart rate um if you've got um if you're running with just speed it's going to do speed pace versus heart rate and it it looks at the first half and the second half and compares them and how much did it go up in the second half so the more fit you get the less it'll go up so it's a Mm -hmm. good it's a really good way to measure like am i good with this effort level Mm -hmm. or with this load like 
if I can do like, I don't know, pick a number, but like if I say, okay, this is my goal Ironman power on the bike, I need to do it for five and a half hours or six hours or six and a half, whatever it is. Like if I don't see too much cardiac drift at that power after three or four hours, then I probably have the endurance to do that effort. Like I'm good with my, my endurance base might be built up enough. Um, and now I can look at raising the actual power that I can hold and like little things like that. Um, you're going to have to find out what those numbers are, but like when you're unfit, you know, if you were to take somebody who completely right off the couch, you'd say, okay, you're going to go run a mile for me. And their heart rate would just go like, it'd be a ski slope going straight up and it, their speed wouldn't get any faster. Their speed would probably go down. And so you'd see those two lines diverge from one mm. another. Heart rate would go up, pace would go down and you're, they're not ready to do that kind of effort. Mm. The fitter you get, the closer <clears throat> those lines come to one another in as far as fitting. And it, so. But if it's really hot, you would still, even if you're fit, you might still have some because you have blood going to your skin. Yeah, to I think right. Off. Hot it'll heat, still heat, heat will still cause it one of those things. Way. So if you see that and you're right. like, "Well, I'm fit enough," my what's, effort what's, is the same. Right, my effort felt the same. What's the reason for it? Mm -hmm. And it could be those kind of things. But also, like, if you become heat adapted, you're going to see. You right. know, so also, it, so it lowers, right? Yeah. So <clears> I, I think it's a good way to say, "Was I? Did I handle this effort or this load properly?" Mm -hmm. um, and that's what I think is a super good. Uh, super good. That great. <laughs> I think it's a super it's a cool, <laughs> groovy metric to, to look at. Um, I learned so much from these shows. Yeah, right? That's good. It's a good thing. Um, another one you can look at, uh, I think I look at this one more for uh, running, is efficiency factor. Mm -hmm. uh, so what this do we got one, on that one? So yeah. this one, efficiency factor is... Basically, the ratio between normalized power or pace and your heart rate. Um, what is normalized power, you might ask? <laughs> so, <laughs> normalized power is so you normally would look at average power. Normalized power takes into account um, the intensity and let's say the elevation of a ride. So, you can go on two rides one is flat, easy pace, and you can have, let's say, an average power of 200. You can do another ride that maybe is hilly. And you still would have 200 average power because you're going hard up the hill and then very easy on the flat. You mean on the same normalized? <clears throat> no, same average, but the normalized power will be different. Okay, good. Because okay. the normalized gotcha. power will take into consideration the physiological cost of the hillier ride. Yeah. So normalized power for the hilly ride will be higher mm -hmm. than the regular flat easy ride. So is the normal normalized power then effectively what your body felt? Yes. Um, yeah, that's a really, good way, really by, good way of putting it. Uh, mm -hmm. So understanding like how much strain you want under is that's mm -hmm. a better yes. number. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh -huh. Go the ahead. Theoretically, the idea is if you went on a hilly ride that had a, a normalized power, had you gone on a perfectly flat, even ride, that's the power that you, you could would, have held right. for that same time. Mm -hmm. So it kind of de-weights the zeros <clears throat> and overweights the things above threshold. And I don't know how the math is there, but it's beyond what anybody needs. To yeah. Really it's, I don't think it's, a, it's just, it's done automatically. We use it. We don't have to understand right. how it's, yeah, yeah. Calculated. it's given for you. So yes. Yes. Um, so when you're figuring out efficiency factor, so we'll take that normalized power and it gets divided by your heart rate and you come out with a number of, the efficiency factor and the way you use it is so you would 
let's say, do the same run every X amount of weeks and you would look at that efficiency factor. You want it essentially to go higher and that means you're becoming more aerobically fit. Now, how are we, so how is that normalized power calculated on a run? Is it taking it into norm, account? Normalized pace, oh, it would pa- be. Normalized pace. Oh, so For a run, it, it would be normalized so pace. So then look your For, pace over hills. Mm-hmm. Versus, Correct. Oh, okay. Yeah, if you, I don't know, again, I don't know what people can see on the free version of, because I look at most of the stuff that, through but, the coaching but Garmin, version. But Garmin, doesn't Garmin have normalized power? I was going to ask, I, where do you guys look at efficiency factor? Um, so I see um, it on training peaks. Yeah. Um, but so training peaks will also calculate, they call it normalized graded pace. Yeah. And that's what they're, you know, you, if you go and do a super hilly run, it's going to take into account that, yeah, you're going to go slower uphill. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of grades it out and says like, what would this run have been if you were on perfectly flat mm-hmm. ground? Mm-hmm. And it uses that. Um, you could also have a running power meter, you know, and it'll do the same thing. Oh. So how much is the like next version of training peaks from the free? I have it for some reason. I don't know what I pay for it. Um, it's $130 a year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So 10 bucks a month. I'll probably figure it out if I... I think it, I think that's about what it is. Okay. Um, if if you are self-coached, it is, I think, very valuable yeah, for you so to use. Yeah, there's so much stuff to look at. Um, if you are coached by somebody, then it's probably not necessary. If uh, Training Peaks is listening to our podcast <laughs> and wants to, you know, offer discount codes to the next level try, reach out to us. We're listening. Yeah. <laughs> We're here. Um, like and subscribe to our podcast and reach out. Comment. <laughs> so, yeah, that efficiency factor is a good one. Again, like mm-hmm. we talked about this last week where, you know, too many people hone in on one metric like FTP and everything is based mm-hmm. off of that where if you start to look at some of the more broad metrics, there's there's a lot to be learned there. You might be improving in something like your efficiency factor um, and maybe your functional threshold isn't going up, mm-hmm. but you're becoming more efficient, which means you can do more work for less cost. And that's that's mm-hmm. a win, especially in long course uh, triathlon. You know, and that's any, an e- sorry, and that's an easy one to check. Yes. Yeah, you can see it, you know, mm-hmm. if you, especially like running and stuff, you do mm-hmm. the same loops all the right, time. Like exactly. you're going to have, you know, pretty easy ways to compare those kind of things and see like, oh, I got a little bit better. I got a little bit better, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, efficiency is one in, in running is one of the only things that will continue to improve almost forever. Mm-hmm. Like you will, if you run consistently, you will, you will become more efficient at running. Um, you gain like Things like your high-end sprint, those you can train really quickly and you top out. And then VO2 max, you can train and it gets better, but it tops out. And threshold tops out eventually. Efficiency doesn't seem to top out. You just get more and more and more efficient. And that's why people get faster and faster at running 10, 12, 13 years into their careers just because they're becoming more efficient. They're able to do more with less. Is efficiency factor even more valuable in swimming. You become more and more efficient the more and more you yeah. swim. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. so. Is it measured? Uh, I don't I know of so. any, like, swimming's tough to measure all those kind of things. Like, we just got heart rate for swimming. Like, heart yeah. rate for swimming is tough to get even get. Uh, there are no commercial swimming power meters that I know of. Um, There's this um, new, like, data collecting thing that... Uh, Phoenix, our, my kids' swim team is here. It's called Tritonware. 
Oh yeah, it goes on the back yeah, of the cap, right? It goes on the right? back of the cap, and it it yeah, does some sort of like it, it measures a whole bunch of things. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I haven't looked into it too deeply. Now I, I should have checked that, but uh, I, that might be the closest thing. Like they, they were showing the dashboard that the coaches use and everything yeah. they can get off. They can uh, get tons of stuff. Yeah. I remember seeing that like two, maybe like just before COVID, I had seen, um, and like got really interested in looking into it, and then I forgot about it and just we couldn't find the budget for our high school swim team because they're decently expensive yeah um but all kinds of metrics i don't think that they're able to do like so for efficiency you need to have um some kind of load and your body's response to that load Mm -hmm. that's kind of what you're measuring with efficiency right input but you don't need to normalize (laughs) it's the same damn pool yes same distance you don't have to normalize it but I don't know how you... Is there a way, like, if you knew your the swimmer's height and how many strokes, and like, would no. a more efficient stroke <clears throat> always be, like, less? If no. No? Mm-mm. What about Shows just what the know. simplicity of, like, aren't you more efficient if you're using less strokes to get through the same 25 meters? Well, like, I mean, the so, same so Garmin, Garmin, Garmin does have that... I don't know if you've ever seen the Swolf yeah. score yeah. On, your, like the on your watch. I don't know what it means. Yeah. Um, so what they do is they take number of strokes plus the time it takes to do a length mm-hmm. of the pool and adds them together. The idea being, like you said, the fewer strokes in the same amount of time. I, I just the don't more know that efficient you are. I don't, but I, I don't know if that makes you more efficient because then you're pulling more um, with each stroke. And I don't know that that's actually a more efficient like when you're you think, displacing more water underneath yeah, but, you. Okay, but let's let's play it from a running or a cycling standpoint. Like we all hear about, you know, why do we take 180 steps per minute when we're running as opposed to 140? Like I because thought that was less a, load on your body. Right, a mm-hmm. bunch of small steps was less load than a, a fewer big steps. So why would it be any different in the pool? Taking yeah, there's fewer no, big it's pulls, not weight like, bearing, but you're you're putting force into the movement. I don't. I don't know the answer. Well, I'm just trying to that. play devil's advocate on with you. Yeah, um, that's why we have this podcast. Right, to discuss mm-hmm. things. Yeah, like this. I, I don't. I don't know the answer. Um, I think everybody kind of settles into their stroke pattern. Um, Please comment, and we can come yeah, back. If to anybody's this got some ideas, um, I, I, I. It's one of those like, if I see it and it looks wrong, I can like pick up on it. Like I have. I have this one kid that um, is one of the fastest kids on our team, and I'm he's just not swimming with enough of a stroke rate. Like he's, he's muscling through the water. Now it's fast enough for him, but I think he'd be faster if he just increased his turnover a little bit, let a little bit of water go and increased from, you know, he might only take 13 or 14 strokes to get across the pool. If he went to like 15, I think he'd be faster. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he'd be more, but I don't know that he'd be more efficient. efficient. Right. And that, cause he's not trying to swim 1500 meters or, you know, an Ironman swim at 2.4 miles, he's trying to swim a hundred backstroke fast, you know, Mm -hmm. or he's trying to swim a 200 freestyle fast. Those are very different animals. I wonder if the water, you can measure the amount of water you displace, right? Somehow. Yeah. But also I don't know how you measure drag and that's the big question mark. So many good things. He's going into his analyzing. (laughs) Yeah. He's risk analyzing (laughs) this one. Um, Yeah. Drag, drag is the big one. And that's why you need some kind of on body, power meter um to measure it and i don't know that that even exists that triton where i think is close but i still don't think it's a power meter Mm. so yep swimming's swimming's a tough one a tough nut to crack when it comes to that in so many ways yeah (laughs) you said and swimming training has been kind of stuck in the dark ages right just Mm -hmm. 
brute yeah. force almost or? um or just throw a bunch of stuff against the wall it's and volume. see what sticks it's volume yeah it, no but it's volume and intensity and it's like who can keep up and with natural the, selection yeah mm-hmm. it's more natural selection than anything um it it may be a lot better now you know I, but well that's what i'm hearing that it went less from less towards the like let's just do volume to target specific things like you said mm-hmm. you know the stroke rate can improve so yeah instead of just making him do more laps, you know, making him work a stroke yeah. rate for a specific period of time. Right. And I think because you, um, because you don't have the ability to track those metrics in swimming as easily, it's, it's easy to, the only one you really have is distance and, um, pace, you know, like, yeah, you could do heart rate, but I don't think too many, like your kids aren't doing anything with no. heart rate. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that's the thing, I guess like the just data, capture is not available yeah. so maybe triton wear would be the first thing to kind of mm-hmm. and it's, usher in this. Yeah, and it's different like when i look at my you know my watch does an okay job of swim heart rate like it's not great um there's a lot of gaps in the data and stuff like that and I, it just is very different because you're buoyed up by the water because there's your horizontal like there's a mm-hmm. lot of reasons why your heart rate's going to be different than it is on the bike and the swim so it's like i don't know if you can even compare the two you know and heart rate's like how much does it, I know it matters, but I'm saying like if you're swimming a hundred or 50, right. Right. Like, yeah, that, then it doesn't cool. matter, but we're not, you know, right, we're, we're not. To swim right. So it's for the longer distances. distances as well. So it's, it's, it's one of those, like, I don't, I, you, I think your heart rate zones would be totally different for swimming versus like swim or bike and run. They're within a couple of beats of each other. Um, I don't think for swimming they are, I think they're totally different. So is there an equivalent of zone two training for swimming? <laughs> yeah, it's tough to talk, yeah. right? It's tough to do the talk test underwater. Um, but yeah, like, do I, you have to? So, I mean, like if you lo- watch any of the YouTube videos of the Norwegians or or Lionel Sanders, they're doing lactate in the water. They're coming up. The coach is mm-hmm. taking it. Yeah. You know, yeah. Because yeah. that would help you. Because I think a lot of people probably swim too hard. And that's because um, swimming's like, like when you're learning to swim, it's, it doesn't matter how fast you're going. It's an all out effort, right? Yeah. Like you're just like, I'm going to survive to the other side of this pool. And then you get there and you're <laughs> gasping, right? It doesn't matter how fast you're going. You're like, yeah. Yeah. you're anaerobic. It's hard to, to, to like figure out your pace in the yeah. water. You know, you're not looking at anything. You're just, it's, it's hard. It's all feel. Of course, yeah, I'm the anomaly. Feel. I you feel like, like I'm a zone two and I have time. to, yeah. And I have in to In the like, water, really? Yeah. And if Ooh. I like, you're kind of lucky. And I don't though, feel I comfortable. Like, right. He's like, Aquaman. Like when I'm like open water swimming, oh, I love that. I love it more than pool swimming. I just go and I'm at like, the, like yeah. you said, just this like, yeah. we'll call it zone two. But then I get in the pool and then someone's like, oh, you got to go like 50 all out effort. I'm like, oh, this is awful. And yeah. it's so much more different for me to do that. Yeah. Swimming switch. is a tough one. And it's tough to like, so that's where like going back to those uh, metrics. Excuse me. Um, those metrics that Training Peaks calculates, like I don't know that you get a really good picture by trying to combine all three sports um, into one thing and say mm-hmm. like like is a hundred TSS on the bike the same as a hundred TSS on the run is the same as a hundred TSS in the pool? Training Peaks says they are, um, but my my experience, you know, doesn't say they are. So. There is a lot to be said for training based on personal effort. Yeah. Know, right. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. We talked about it last week, but yeah. you need to be able to dial that effort into the correct, yeah. like you still have physiology going on. Like you might, you need to know what easy feels like. You need to know what mm-hmm. hard or tempo or whatever feels like. So, so that you can dial in that effort, you know? Um, so 
Um, anything else that you guys can think about for uh, like the almost like post exercise analysis side of things? Anything that pops in your head is something important worth talking about? I mean, I just like to look at, I guess, like the flashy numbers. I like to like to see max speed. Mm-hmm. I like to look at how much elevation. Yeah. Um, I like to see what my max heart rate was. So it's just kind of the, the fun numbers. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's worth looking at the, all, the, all mm-hmm. those things and kind of getting an idea of where you've where you're at. Anything else? All right, so let's jump into um, some of the things maybe that we'd measure that aren't considered work part of your workout. Like, so they're not, I guess they're not training metrics, right? They're more like lifestyle metrics, right? And I think they're super important and becoming more important now than they Mm -hmm. were ever before. And I think they're great. Yeah. Um, So we got a couple of things on the list. Uh, Maybe we'll start with... um, you want to start with sleep data, James? Yeah. And maybe so, go into that. So um, do you guys all track your sleep? Yeah. Yep. I only started you? because <clears throat> Garmin yeah. started tracking <laughs> my sleep. Yeah. So. Sleep used to, is important. I used to track it too. I think Fitbit, I used to wear a Fitbit before this mm-hmm. and, and would track sleep. Um, so, I mean, obviously no one's anti-sleep, right? We're all fans no, of very sleep. Very mm-hmm. pro-sleep. Yes. Yep. So um, we do all this training and you're building up all this fatigue. We talked about the chronic whatever training load ctl <laughs> abl cd so the only way and then so, I, so your body is like basically damaged and yeah. then you have to recover and right. that from that recovery you hope to get into that super compensation and you're literally peaking hopefully mm-hmm. for for your race so the only way to recover eat and sleep mm-hmm. right or steroids. so are you always damaging your body when you're training is that what I mean, you're saying a little bit i mean you die a little bit every day <laughs> So, so I felt at the edge of the pool today. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you're training your muscles, your little tears in your muscles and then it needs to rebuild and that's how you build muscle. Yeah. Uh, I guess the same thing happens to your uh, fitness. You, you got to And I mean, like stress har- it. hormone release, right? At mm-hmm. night is. Yeah. So know. that that was the key thing with, with sleep. Um, you have different stages. There's deep sleep, REM sleep, and then like light, light sleep. And there's three cycles you go through is about an hour and a half, they say, for that one cycle on average. Uh, so um, the important thing for athletes is that, number one, length of time of sleep. They say for, and I think it's across the board, but they say especially endurance athletes, you want to really get eight hours of sleep. Mm-hmm. Realistically, does everyone get eight hours of sleep? I get it a lot. Good for you, <laughs> I'm going to share my numbers. Uh, last night I got seven hours and 44 minutes, okay. according to my watch. Last night I didn't, but, but usually. I am going to. I got a 97 point sleep score That's last night, nice. which is, I've, I've seen higher than that only a few times. Now, I don't know if that means anything, but it he tells was prepping for it this does. podcast. It, was. it does. <laughs> Did you have a, like a hard day or hard week, like training wise beforehand? Um, and no, yesterday I took a day off. I didn't train in the morning. Um, and it was a pretty relaxed, like a normal, normal day for me. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, I don't think it was. About you? Mine varies. Sometimes I'll have like very little sleep, and then and then I'll have like ignite, which is really good. I'm inconsistent. That's mm-hmm. that's I think where I'm at. I so. average about eight hours. Is there is there such a thing as catching up? There is no such thing as catching up. So you can't do like two hours t- tonight and then be like, All right, I'm gonna sleep eighteen hours the next day. It's not gonna work. Uh, you just have to write it off at write it off as a loss. Um, can but I nap? Mm-hmm. Nap, but the problem is again. So the, those three cycles, 
a nap, let's say a 20 minute nap, you're not going to really hit that, the, the cycles. And the importance of the cycles is that in that deep sleep phase, you're going to release uh, the most HGH. Yeah. And that's going to get your, your repair, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in REM sleep, that's when your body releases testosterone. So you want to spend as much time in those, those two zones as possible so that you're, that's what's like helping you repair and, and get the benefits from or recover from all your training so that you, you can super compensate. Um, the problem is most people, I think, uh, from what I read, you, you hit those cycles at like consistent times, your, your body likes consistency. And so if you're sleeping erratically, um, different times of the night, every night, your body can't like adjust to that. So for me, I know most of my deep sleep always happens before midnight. Mm -hmm. Um, ideally I'm like, in bed sleeping at nine o'clock every night. I usually get up at four thirty-five. Yeah, not gonna happen today. I should be sleeping. Not, should on, be sleeping. not on Thursdays. Not on podcasts, He's actually sleeping <laughs> right now. Thursdays. But I, if I look at my Garmin data, all my deep sleep happens early in mm-hmm. the night. And if I go to bed after midnight, I pretty much get no no deep sleep. So I lose out on that whole HGH window. So what's the benefit of napping? The benefit of napping is just, I think, for you to Rest. feel refreshed. So if you're just taking like a 20 minute nap, you you don't want you don't want to go into a deep sleep cycle, or you're going to get super groggy waking up. Mm-hmm. Like you get that sleep inertia, I think they call it. So I'm not a good 20 minute napper. If not I nap, I need like two hours. Right. I, I think I need to go through that full cycle mm-hmm. to feel refreshed. And I think there is benefit to that, but you you really need that long continuous sleep to get all the benefits. Yeah. In a perfect world, I think you'd get both. You'd get some long sleep. I, I don't think you can use naps to make up for right. loss of sleep right. during the night. I think you use naps to help, like you said, refresh, refresh yourself, yourself more than anything else. And then, yeah. and then all of the problem, though, I, what, what I was always kind of frustrated with when you when you have the sleep data, it's like, how do you actually increase it? Like, deep sleep is good for you. How do you increase it? Mm-hmm. And it looks like that's actually just kind of genetic like it's just mm, everyone really? has their own sort of amount of deep sleep they get so like there's do you whatever. all have your watch data well how much deep yeah. sleep did you get last night let's see i typically go just over an hour to an hour and 15 okay so i had like i said a phenomenal night's sleep last night i got an hour and 54 minutes of deep sleep i got an hour and seven and i'm usually around like an hour and change not okay. that much how deep sleep yeah i'm usually like an hour and a half i've never seen anything it's like an hour to an hour and a half Ooh, okay wait a minute Wait, but I slept 10 hours this one day, so I just got two hours. 10 hours. Wait, what day was this? Saturday. Wait, is that right? Um, Maybe. How about this? Look at your numbers. How close are your deep and REM numbers? Because I find the better scores I get, and this might just be part of the algorithm and how they calculate it, the closer those numbers are, the better my sleep score is. So, like, I got an hour 54 of deep and an hour 49 of REM, um, and I wonder if that's... Even though, like, seven and a half hours, 745 is a good night's sleep, it's not. it's probably my average... Um, but I think the fact that I got a lot of deep end REM and they were in pretty well balanced, I think, uh, led to that 97 that I'm going <laughs> to hang on my room. <laughs> I, have, I got home. 87, but I had an hour and seven of deep and an hour 28 of REM. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm going to ask a different question, but I, I'll say my numbers. They're pretty close. And I do a, se- I'm looking at a seven day average okay. just oh. so that we yeah, can have on, on my phone here. So. And, um, I'm about 50 minutes of average deep over the last seven days and 55 minutes of average REM. Do you guys, and you don't have to tell me if you do, have an average awake time? Yeah. I mean, I was awake four minutes last night. 12 minutes. I find that 
disturb. I'm, I'm averaging 41 minutes. Oh, that's a lot. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's never... your, that's your, you're constantly thinking and analyzing things. Analyzing it analyzing wakes risk. me up analyzing. to think about stuff and then <laughs> I go back to sleep. My brain's waking up. What if you guys found um, either helps your sleep or hurts your sleep? So what hurts my sleep, my wife's going to hate me. She gets up a lot in the middle of the night to <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, get a drink or the bathroom, whatever. Yeah. Well, we have, you know, one of my children still young, so we leave the hallway light on. So every time the door opens, I, I, I wake up from the light. Because I've noticed the nights that I sleep through the whole night, mm-hmm. even if she does get up, is because that hallway light is off. Okay. And so I, don't, I think I'm very sensitive to light. Sensitive. To light, you know. Mm-hmm. So that hurts to sleep. Podcasting night when we um, indulge yeah. in a little too many drinks. Yeah, definitely um, not. Definitely a good not. Night. Yeah, not a restful sleep at all. Yeah, drinking has is a pretty clear cut. You know, harmful. It doesn't help sleep at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Big meals, they say before um, going to sleep, mm-hmm. not a good idea. I'm a light sleeper. Like every little thing wakes me up. So. Mm. What I like to do now, too, I I have like an air filter in my room. I like to just have that on as white noise. Oh, I have white noise on my phone Mm. playing all night. I've started using a weighted blanket, and I feel that that helps. Just have someone hugging you? No. (laughs) I'm not a cuddler. (laughs) (laughs) You guys guys didn't cuddle during (laughs) Muscleman? And I'll I'll be honest, you want to know a funny thing? Like, she's going to kill me. Uh, (laughs) Does she uh, listen to the podcast? She does. we, I guilted her into it, I think. Um, we, As soon as we got uh, separate blankets, like so in, on our bed we have two blankets and we mm-hmm. each have one. Not We don't share a blanket. My sleep got infinitely better. <laughs> oh, we, so did hers. We got... You bu- weighted blankets. I've never well, tried one. So she doesn't have a weight. She Actually, she got a weighted blanket thinking it would be good for her. She didn't like it, so I took it and I was like, oh, it's good. Mm-hmm. Um, but just separate blankets. Uh, for- huge game changer sharing moments for our listeners so we have separate mattresses and i think that's beneficial and the reason that happened was very simple is it like dennis the menace like you guys are separated by a nightstand (laughs) no (laughs) oh just no the mattress so so when you get a king no when you get a king bed yeah right um the mattress couldn't make it up the stairs so in order to they to cut get it? the same mattress. It's it's <laughs> the it king bed is two off. twin yeah. extra longs. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, they're really? like, but we can get the two twin extra longs up to the uh-huh. bedroom. So we're like, well, we can't fit a king. And when we did that, we're like, well, this is great. I don't feel the yeah, other person feel moving. The other person moving. And that that was like, but for me also, I wanted to add that it's also temperature. If okay. I'm overheated, I don't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So sixty eight supposedly scientifically is the ideal sleeping temperature. That's like there's so much out there now on like this idea of sleep hygiene and like all the stuff you can do to get better sleep. And that's one, like mm-hmm. stay cool. Um, they make like, have you seen these air conditioners for your, like it'll blow cold air under your pillow, under your blanket or something crazy yeah, that like looks, that. Oh, it's, really? It looks insane. Like awesome. sounds weird. It sounds very weird. A little fan. But it, I, yeah, it's fan. And like the idea, I mean, how many of you sleep with a foot sticking out of, all the Your time, blanket, right? I can't. It's, it's like, like the thermo- I just overheat if my feet are covered. <laughs> yeah, that's well. The since we're getting regulate. all kinds of information, like I always sleep in the same position and pretty much most of the night. I know different people, like even my kids, well, they'll sleep in like all kinds of different. Kids move amazed more than kids at what so I go in and check on my kids at night, and like man, they're like contorted in yeah. these yoga positions. I'm like, how do you not wake up and just? Yeah, I'm in like whatever. Like I, I know the specific side that I like. Actually, like specific. <laughs> I just sleep like that the whole Why night. Why is that you not know? surprising? No, that's. Oh, I have like a, I have a routine. <laughs> yeah, I start on my right. Oh, and then like I will kind of, kind of go into my. So when I first hit the pillow, I'm out. 
I, I, oh, I'm yeah? immediately sleeping huh. and I'm already like dreaming. So, mm-hmm. And then, but then I wake up like 10 minutes later. It's like, it's jarring. And then, then I move to like on my back and then I'm like, all right, when I really want to go to sleep, then I move to my left. And even though like left is where I sleep, I always still want to start on my right. Yeah. I don't know what, oh, it's just like my routine. Same, same thing. Well, so I don't we, we wake up, I don't fall asleep and wake up, but I usually like lay down on my right, my right side and then I'll actually fall asleep on my left side. Well, you, just t- you just said that you have your spot and you know it and you do it. Well, I always sleep through the night without changing. Like I'll wake up as oh. I fell asleep on my ah, left side. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't go into like starfish and then back into one <laughs> position. And then well, I know like names. Okay. Yeah, I just sleep on my left side though. I, I want to know how many of our listeners have this just fallen amazing. asleep. This is amazing. I know. I was... <laughs> we can edit this out. No, this is good. Um, um, so, but I think the mess- take-home message is pay attention to your sleep. Like it's, yeah. it's probably the most important thing you can do to... Um, you know, deal with your training load, right? Yeah. You you can't survive without sleep. It's no, you it's little, water, yeah. sleep, then food. Like I think that's the hierarchy of needs. Like I think you can go a lot longer without food than you can without sleep. Uh, I took away debatable. consistency. That's what I'm taking away. I mean, you're you're, you're doing some kind of training. <laughs> What's that? He said you could take away. You could live longer without food. I don't know. I mean, like actually live longer. Yeah, like I think you, you die from lack of sleep before yeah. you die from lack of food. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, because we can like eat away at our own bodies mm-hmm. for mm. quite yeah, some sleep, time. Sleep. You can't go too long without no, sleep. You get delirious. Do you? Does, that, does anyone use any um, sleep aids? No, I do. What is it? Um, so it depends. Um, melatonin mm-hmm. has helped me a lot uh, with kind of getting back on a schedule. If you know, going back and forth between the school year and summertime, like my sleep schedule gets screwed up for a while, and melatonin will help get it back on um, back on track. Um, cannabis has been a big help. THC, I think, mm-hmm. helps put me to sleep, um, you know, really well. Full disclosure, my 97 was with five milligrams of THC <laughs> about an hour before bedtime. And we are in a state where it's legal. Did I ask legal. you already, it, how do you wake up, legal. though? Do you Fine. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, if, mm-hmm. I mean, if you don't take enough, it's out of your system. Eight yeah. Up, you know, within seven hours, yeah. it's. I'm not having any kind of issues with it long term. Um, yeah. So Melatonin, I, I thought, was helpful in helping you stay asleep longer rather than fall asleep, right? No, it helps, no, it you, helps fall you fall asleep. It helps you fall asleep, mm-hmm. so it's the other way. Yeah. I get a weird feeling, though, when I take melatonin. Yeah, and I, I, don't, feel, I don't take uh, it a lot. It doesn't work for everybody either. Right, I take it, like, to get back on a schedule. Yeah. I'm not taking it every night. I um, get a little, like, almost opposite. I get, like, restless feeling okay. when I take it. Um, and so I just get in this weird I've had that before, but state. not with, um, weird, like, I remember getting that, like, with like Tylenol PM or one of those, like you're, you're mm-hmm. sick and you take one of those things. I've had that feeling with those mm-hmm. things before. I've never noticed it with melatonin. I'm also not taking like huge doses of it. And I'm also worried that like they say, you know, if you take melatonin externally, then your mm-hmm. body's going to create right. less of it. Yeah, and, and that's why I'm saying like to once, you know, once in a while, if I need to get back on a schedule, that, that has been the best way. Have you guys ever heard of ZMA? No, I've heard that? of it, but I don't know anything about it. So I take ZMA daily. Um, it's just a supplement. It's zinc, magnesium, and I think vitamin mm. B12. Oh, what's the other magnesium one? helps with sleep. Magnesium yeah. is the sleep one, right? And then yeah. the zinc, I figure, is just good for your immune system. Mm-hmm. Um, and the magnesium, I figure, just for maybe cramping, but I take it every day. It hasn't really helped, but <laughs> I don't know how it much maybe that's No, I think magnesium helps, helps with sleep. sleep. Yeah. Um, but so it doesn't help you fall asleep, but the it's supposed to help you uh, have deeper sleep. And a weird side effect too is you have sometimes like really intense dreams, mm-hmm. just like crazy, mm-hmm. very vivid dreams while you're on it. Um, you want to share any of them? We can get deep <laughs> into that. No, please don't. I'll, I'll, I'll make a journal. Weren't we journal. supposed to analyze someone's dream? No. 
No no we, we didn't want to make it official how crazy we are. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, it helps. Uh, it's inexpensive. Yeah. Um, I just look at to make sure it has the, I guess, the highest amounts of each supplement. Okay. Um, but yeah, for me, it's been a really good help to try to get as much like deep and stay asleep sleep. Yeah. Um, and yeah, figure the zinc helps with your immune system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. So anything else for sleep? I'm sure we can get into a lot of stuff like what you do and when you wake up and but like, yeah, but it, that's good. I think that, um, the sleep date is important. I think like you should just pay more attention to how much sleep you're getting yeah. and then mm-hmm. starting to dive down the rabbit holes of like how much REM ver- I mean, you just heard like we all have very different mm-hmm. amounts. I think just total sleep is the important one. I don't also don't know if the watches and stuff are super right, really after. good enough yeah. yet to be telling the differences in the stages of sleep. So oh, the, my last night's sleep was garbage. It's like yeah. I got 10 hours. I did not get 10 hours right. of sleep. Yeah. I think you just want to dial in uh, length of time and consistency. Yeah. Those mm-hmm. are the main things. Yeah. So. And your body will tell you too. I mean, uh, Tuesday, I, I was so tired at night and I fell asleep at 830 mm-hmm. and just crashed. Right. Just, yeah, listen to your body. Um, all right, next one. You Sometimes you can't listen to your body. This is weight. Weight, <laughs> yes. So um, I'm going to take a step away from the so the interesting thing about weight um there's no i guess there's this whole thing about race weight like what Mm -hmm. is your ideal race weight do you guys try to hit a certain weight during race season do you track it i don't i I think there's probably an ideal race weight yourself Mm -mm. which is your like how much power you can sustain over the effort that you want to sustain over that period of time mm-hmm. that you need to do. I don't have that dialed in. And so it was interesting too, is like, so they looked at a bunch, they did a study, looked at a bunch of different athletes, swimmers, cyclists, triathletes, runners, endurance, and then they kind of like grouped them all together and saw where weight, how weight affected each type of athletes. And so swimmers were on the kind of like the highest scale of weight amongst all these athletes, they were, they had the most mass and it makes sense. They're usually like sprinters or mm-hmm. they're not doing these really, really long efforts like a, a triathlete. Uh, but weight really affected them because if they were too light, they just didn't have that like the I guess, power. power in the water, the buoyancy. Like if you get too skinny, you kind of lose a little bit of buoyancy. Uh, so that you really needed weight. And then on the flip side, runners, the lighter you were uh, as a runner, the, the better of a runner you were because it's less mass mm-hmm. that you're moving. It's easier on the joints. You can move faster with less effort. I guess your efficiency goes up. And then cyclists were like right in the middle. Like you needed that balance. Like you couldn't be too light because mm-hmm. then you couldn't make the power, but you didn't want to be too heavy because you have to move that power. Mm-hmm. Uh, so even these studies, they couldn't say like what is the ideal race weight. There's no definitive answer, but they did look at data and say who were these elite, like the elite athletes in these groups, what did their numbers look like? And so... The numbers I found for, they were looking at Ironman uh, triathletes and they had these ratios. So for the top performing uh, Ironman athletes in men, the ratio was something like, what did I write here? 2.1 to 2.3 pounds per inch. So however tall you are, however many inches, multiply that 2.1 or 2.3. This is for men. Calculate out what that weight is. For women, uh, it was 1.8 pounds Per inch. So again, the unfairness to women, oh. like we talked about last week. Oh. 
So way over the ideal. Weight. Yeah, my mine said it would be like on the low end would be like one fifty one to one sixty five, and that's about almost thirty pounds less thirty twenty to thirty pounds less than what I weigh right now. That depends though, but it's like if I weighed that, I would have. I feel like I would have no strength. I feel like, and I don't know if this is true or not, but a lot of the data recently is not the pure weight, but BMI. But I don't even like BMI no, though. BMI. My BMI is always high. Yeah. Yeah. I I think you got to go on how you feel. I don't know. So how do, so here's the thing, right? If you're like, I know before a race, you're not trying to lose weight. You need to fuel yeah. your body. Mm-hmm. When, if like in a year like this year, we, where we have most of us are signed up for two races, mm-hmm. um, one in June, one in October, is there a time that it's ideal to lose weight? Sure. If, you, if there's some, some some pounds you want to three shave? months ago, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Very That's end the honest answer. Yeah, as soon as your last season ended, mm. I think also like the it's, weight is just such a personal thing. And when they tried to normalize yeah, like not. these weight distributions well, I mean, for we people, we have to remember that those numbers are elite. Yeah, this is elite. athletes, long course athletes. Does it did it say or not? Ironman distance. Okay, so we're talking like the it's the tippy top of the professional and elite field, like. I don't know that you need to use those as you yeah. are like, you know, here's where I should be getting to because none of us in here at this point are elite athletes. You know, we're trying, but Jackie <laughs> made bronze status. <laughs> <I know. laughs> well, Jackie might be, yeah. you know, fit in that ratio. But I mean, when you look at these athletes, they, you know, if you saw them, I think dressed in clothes, like the iron cowboy was a great example of this. Um, I had watched his uh, movie, you know, his documentary and stuff. And in my head, I had pictured a much different looking individual. And then when you posted a picture next to him, mm-hmm. I had like, he was tiny. Yes. He was a small man. Now, shirtless, he's ripped. He's probably, you know, when he was at the top of his things, he's probably, I don't know, six, 7% body fat, realistically. Like he looked ripped, but well, he's a small person. I'm also a pretty big guy. You are a big (laughs) dude. How about if we look at, though, um, we were just talking about um, the Norwegians. Mm -hmm. You look at those two guys. They are totally different. Two different bodies. Totally different. Totally two different. You know, one is tall and lean. The other one, you can tell he's not as lean. Yeah. And they're both super powerful and have each one in their own right. I I think think most people get Christian wrong. Uh, I don't think he's not as lean. He's got the weirdest shaped chest I've he ever does. seen. He's like very puffy. Yeah. He's got like a yeah. barrel chest. He's, so I think yeah. it's. But he's it's, got a belly. You see him <sighs> like, he's got, he kind of got a belly. He's not like. I, think, I felt like, oh man, this is like my guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they, they've come out in some, some reports and podcasts and, and different stuff. He found that he was for the longer distance stuff. He would perform a little bit better, a few pounds um, heavier. And that's what I mean. Like you gotta, but I still think, if, I still think he'd probably fall inside these In numbers. that you yeah. think? Yeah, I do. And mm-hmm. I do, um, if I, if I can't remember all the details, but the Ironman triathletes weren't the thinnest of the, of the categories of triathletes. Right, they were the, actually on the heavier side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. The ITU athletes and the sprint distance guys are, right, and girls are going to be much, much smaller because speed, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're going to carry a little bit more weight in the Ironman athletes. So three months ago, we should have been losing weight if we wanted to lose weight. But typically, <laughs> yeah. after your race season ends, you kind of right you relax, relax a little bit. That's kind of um, where I gained my weight. It, it if you're doing a well thought out training plan and you're really not doing too much intensity, 
early in the base season, you can lose a lot of weight there. Mm. I mean, I don't, I don't want to say a lot of weight. You can lose weight there. Um, as soon as the intensity starts ratcheting up, it's really hard to um, run at a significant deficit and mm-hmm. still recover from your sessions so that you can do the next ones. Be strong enough, yeah. Yeah, yeah so it's you're really actually tough. just really hurting yourself. You're mm-hmm. in, yeah. Well, but it's interesting though. Um, they did another study for just people to lose weight. Just tracking your weight every day, mm-hmm. not makes a big stressful. difference. Changing anything, you lose weight because yeah. now whatever number you're, you're stressed look at, out from looking. At yeah, I know. No, yeah. You can't you can't change what you can't what you don't measure. Yeah, right. If you don't know where you're at, you can't you can't change it. What's the best amount of weight to lose a week if? you're going to go healthy and you're going to do it right. So uh, training and racing and competing aside, general rule of thumb, what I've heard is a pound a week at the most Mm -hmm. is sustainable and healthy. So the pie also depends on how big you are to start with and male, female. Um, But anything more than that usually just means you're either at too much of a deficit, you're going to do some sort of unsustainable diet, uh, you're not going to have enough energy levels to do the, the, the exercise that you need to do, but a, about a pound a week is uh, a healthy amount, safe. That's about <clears throat> a pound is 3,500 calories. So you really just have to reduce 500 calories a day mm-hmm. or burn 500 more calories a day. I find it strange that it's best or it's recommended that you weigh even daily because Oh you could have a fluctuates so yeah. You much. could have a salty meal, mm-hmm. or just even if you drink more one day, mm-hmm. I have carbs the next day. I'm like two pounds heavier, right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I don't know why it's daily. Maybe like uh, I'm making it up. I'm no expert. Twice a week, I don't know. Once a week, like, yeah. So like, the, here's the way I look at it. I get on a scale every since I've been trying to lose weight. Um, get on a scale every day, and I have the Garmin scale. And the nice thing about that is it plots your weight over the last, I think it's 30 days, maybe it's 45 days. You're not looking at the peaks and valleys. You're looking at the trend of that long. Exactly. Right? So you're right. I stepped on the scale this morning and I was like, I had a, I had a good day eating the day before. Like I shouldn't have put on any weight. And I was like 0.2 pounds heavier. Right? I don't give a shit. Right? <laughs> Which is why I'm questioning the daily thing, right? Because I want to have points that show me over time is that line going down. If the fewer times I have those points, I don't. I, I think you have a chance to miss some things, like or not miss some things, not be aware of things. And so I want to see them every day. I want to see like, do I notice any trends? Like if I weigh myself every day, then I can correlate it to, oh, I had this for dinner. This makes me retain water. Or I had this. And like you, you learn those things. You don't mm-hmm. act on them. I don't say like, oh my gosh, I was 0.2 pounds heavier today. I need to not eat breakfast. Like that's not what I'm doing, but I'm just putting all that data into the right the machine. And so I think if you can take that step further and say you can decouple the number you see on the scale to your next day actions. It, yes. It's not next day actions. It's overall mm-hmm. calorie deficit in the week Mm-hmm. actions right. yeah. so that you lose a healthy amount or take off a healthy amount yep. um, a week. Now, does it matter that, let's say it's not endurance long course training, does it matter that you're trying to change your composition? So you're trying to gain muscle. Mm-hmm. I'll just say it simply, right? So are you also keeping the same weight, but 
gaining muscle. So you're changing your composition mm -hmm. at the same weight. Mm -hmm. I guess the difficulty in, in this type of sport though is so like to really like change your body composition, you really have to dial in your macros, like your protein, fats, and carbs. And if you want to put on more muscle, you got to up your protein. Mm -hmm. But if you want to lose weight, you have to restrict the amount of calories that you're, you're, you're consuming. So if more of your diet is going to be coming from protein to, to rebuild and, and recomp your body, you have to eat less fat and carbs. If you don't have those carbs, though, you may not have the fuel to make it through your workout. So if, it, if, if you weren't doing triathlon or high, highly carb-intensive um, sport, you just up your protein, make sure your calories are at the numbers that you need. If you're at a deficit, you're going to either maintain muscle and then lose fat. And so then your body is recomping. Muscle is heavier than fat. So you could end up being the same weight, you know, if you continue to build muscle. But um, the challenge in this sport is that we need so many calories and carbs. And carbs also kind of just make you a little, little fluffier. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's tough for an average average person mm -hmm. can someone talk about this idea of eating right for your blood type oh no sounds like no. you want to yeah. there there is this idea that based on a certain blood type you are either going to do um react differently to whether you eat more fats more carbs or more protein oh, um and everybody's different um what blood type are you rich <laughs> that's gonna be a uh that's going to be a real right there, that face, that face, Marilyn, because I'm with you on that. Put that up there. Yeah, the blood type thing's been debunked. It's garbage. And nobody, it's... And is there something to be said about, like, everybody's different in terms of what they should be consuming as they're either, like, working out or training or racing? Like, should be, like, different people will consume like more carbohydrates and then more proteins or more fats. And that's something like we're doing the sweat test. Can somebody, is there such a thing as doing like what your body absorbs better during or after a workout um, test? Yeah, I think just the general thumb is protein. workouts, protein, right. you got to repair and, your and body. And carbs, like you're, yeah. A, yeah, you're a sponge at the end of a workout, mm -hmm. right? So whatever you put in is going to be absorbed. If you, you need to rebuild muscle, you need protein to do that. If you need to replace glycogen stores, you need carbs to do that. Like, but then fats too. Like good fats are really important. They're, they're yeah. anabolic, right? So, and and that's why it becomes so hard to try and be at a calorie deficit mm -hmm. when you're training hard. I think you touched on a very important point for our listeners: is that it's key to eat within a certain amount of time after your workouts, mm -hmm. especially for the sport that we're doing. I think it went from something like eat within an hour to where now I've, I've read or heard more, like I, I try to do the do it within the first 30 minutes mm -hmm. of the workout. I'm terrible at that. I yeah. do. I try and do it. I try. It's tough. Yeah. Like, I mean, so like when I work out in the morning, I come back home, I'll walk the dog, I'll take a shower, and then I'll make a shake, you know, and I'll have that, you know, so it might be 45 minutes later, an hour, um, you know. It's better than not doing it. Yeah, well, I'm never going to, I'm mm -hmm. never going to, fast at that point um and not eat something but you know it might be a little while and i mean you do the best you can mm -hmm. you know uh so i think weights weights a tough one and i think endurance sports um have a long history of eating disorders i think that if you go back and look at and talk to like pro cyclists probably even pro triathletes like eating disorders are a real thing and um 
guys don't want to talk about that kind of stuff. Um, women are, I think, more likely to speak about it mm -hmm. than, than men are. Um, but there are some serious eating disorders in the endurance community. And I think it's something people have to be aware of um, because like you bring up these numbers, like people strive to look like Lionel Sanders or strive to look like Jan Frodeno. And like, in addition to putting in 35 hours a week of training, they have genetics to back that kind of stuff up. They are a certain body type. And me as a high school biology teacher who gets to train 10 or 12 hours a week, like I probably could never look like that. And if I try, I might go down that rabbit hole of some kind of eating disorder. Mm. So hopefully people are aware of that kind of stuff and um, don't put themselves in those kind of difficult situations. And if they do, they find the right person to ask for help with. We know somebody too. We do. Mm -hmm. Teammate. Yep. You know. So if you need help, yeah. message us. <laughs> we'll get you in touch. Uh, anything else with, uh, with as far as weight goes? I do like the the adage of um, you can't outrun a bad diet. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it was primarily true. So before I was into endurance, I was heavily into CrossFit. And I was probably like still my heaviest while because I would just eat a lot. It's just you do more exercise, you eat a lot. Mm -hmm. I was kind of just maintaining a certain weight. But I was close to 200 pounds back then. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, I, need, I really need to like at least look like I work out because I'd, I'd work out like six days a week, train every day. Uh, so it wasn't until I actually went on a calorie, a caloric deficit, followed a meal plan. I did the zone diet back then. Um, worked really well for me, mm -hmm. dropped to like 25 pounds and then kind of been able to maintain that without having to do um, following anything strictly. But I found that uh, with triathlon, once you get to half Ironman training, you sort of can eat whatever, whatever you want. <laughs> but then the problem is like what? then you catch, you sort of, if I stop doing half Ironman training, right. You know, I can't, you it's hard eating to eat the same way. I still eat the same way. <laughs> yeah. So then the only way now is like to then start doing like Ironman training. <laughs> well, you're on the right plan. So <laughs> Ironman and marathon. <laughs> when you're younger, you can outrun your, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. outrun your diet a little bit. But as you get older, I think it, the more, more weight is on your diet. Yep. Yeah. And I think that's, I've talked about that before. Like, I don't think you should try and restrict your calorie. I don't think you should try and lose weight while you're exercising. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to fuel the work that you're doing and, you know, don't try and, outwork your diet and and decrease the calories there decrease them during your normal days eating you know mm. fuel your work recover from that work and then find another place to cut your calories i think that's an important yeah uh, lesson that i've at least learned so um all right we got one thing on the list left what did we miss hrv oh and this is a fun one yeah it's really fun mm -hmm. um so do you guys have any idea about hrv I've learned a lot about it in the last year, and uh -huh. I love it. You love it. Really? I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so HRV stands for heart rate variability. So when we think of our pulse, how our heart beats, we think of it like a metronome. If your heart's beating at 60 beats a, mi a minute, I'm just going to use simple numbers, right? 60 beats a minute, You, we have this idea that it beats every second on the second, which is not necessarily true. There's minor differences in that beat to beat. Um, there's minor beat to beat differences in time. And what researchers have found is that the more variability there is in beat to beat time, the higher the heart rate variability is, it kind of means like you're ready for whatever you're about to throw at yourself. Your heart is ready to react yeah. to whatever you're going and it, to and throw it is at reacting. it. 
to those minor differences that are happening and happening physiologically just in your normal going about your life, your heart is able to respond to those minor differences. If you put yourself under a, in a stressful situation, that goes away and you switch to, um, I'm going to get this wrong, your sympathetic nervous system, which is the fight or flight response. And it's like, it's like, okay, we got to worry about all these other things going on around us. So forget about heart rate, just do, do, do like a metronome. Mm -hmm. And so the difference between that low variability and the high variability gives you a pretty good idea of where your stress level's at. And the cool stuff that's come out of this research in the last five, 10 years or so <clears throat> is that it's probably the best way we have to measure total stress. And it takes everything into account. Your body knows stress. The stress response is the same, whether you're getting chased by a lion 200,000 years ago, or you're trying to do some VO2 max efforts, or your boss at work is yelling down your throat to get this report done, or you're not sleeping. The stress response is the same. And you react with this HRV response over time, and you can get a pretty good idea of kind of where you're at and how ready are you for a challenge um, by looking at your HRV. And there's a bunch of different ways you can measure it nowadays. Um, I'm sure the whoop strap, you see tons mm -hmm. of people wearing that thing. Um, the aura ring is another one that you, these wearables that measure that are accurate enough to measure the, the difference between heartbeats. Um, and then they, the, the whoop and the aura apply their own algorithms and come up with what usually they call like a readiness score or something like that. Um, there's apps on your phone that literally use your phone camera to measure, um, on your fingertip, what that beat to beat variability is, what that HRV is. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of research that's pointing towards like, this is a really good way to measure kind of like how ready are you for the day ahead? Um, and because it takes everything into account, it might be more valuable for everyday athletes like us who are, have a job and families and stuff like that. Uh, and our, our stress level is pretty high in addition to your training load. Where like, if you're a pro, and I don't want to, like the these pros work hard, right? But if that's all you have to worry about, it's a very different story than what we deal with from, you know, when we wake up at five in the morning until we go to bed. So but heart rate variability kind of pulls it all together into this one little tidy nugget of, of data um, that you can track over time. And that's probably where the real value is, tracking it over time. Um, that's the thing I don't like about the whoop and the aura ring is they give you this score in the morning that's like, okay, you are this recovered. And it's like, shoot, what do I do with that now? Like, do I change my training entirely? Do I text my coach and be like, hey, my readiness score was only 46 today. What should I do? Like, it's like, where are you, where's the trends, you know, going So what's with that? the one that Garmin gives you? It Is started to do HRV also. So yeah. Garmin um, has, I guess, their but body they, battery. They take it at, no, they have HRV. HRV. Oh, it they, depends it on which watch it, you have. Mine doesn't have that. Oh, yeah. mine has it, but it takes it at night, right. which I've heard is not the best time. Okay. So, so you could do a four week average. Yeah, no, it does it. You, if right. you wear it long enough, it averages everything out. But. So the whoop and the aura ring are taking nighttime measurements also. They're, they're recording this stuff during those stages of sleep. And it's like, how, what, what's your sleep look like and stuff like that. Um, mm -hmm. my watch. So you guys are both on the Phoenix. Yeah. Okay. 
I have the Forerunner 945. It doesn't do HRV. Team 945. Team 945, all right. So it just tells you like you're balanced and then it gives you a number, but I don't know what it means, the right. number. Um, well, there's green, orange. Yeah, green and, Green is balanced. Yeah. yeah. Is it like a higher number better, lower number yeah. worse? So you're, yeah. you're, you're basically, you should be in the green and that means you're, you're pretty good compared to your average and that's a good score there's no number you don't compare oh. the number to somebody else right the numbers it's are your very unique number. to you which but your is relative great. number right. which is yeah. great so um, but sometimes i get unbalanced and i'm like oh no what does yeah, that so mean? that's right so what what people are using it for is at the extreme they're saying okay my hrv is low or not a good score so my body is not going to adapt to the training that i'm going to give it today right so Just if not you're gonna, i'm not going to train today right mm-hmm. well that's not or <laughs> what i think may be like I would have you like some people will say um, before the HRV number, you're doing this workout, but for some reason my heart rate's not going up as mm-hmm. much as I thought it would be, and that's related to your HRV. That means you're not recovered enough and you're stressed out more, and so your heart isn't able to react to the stress you're putting it under. Mm-hmm. So a better way to use that number, or I think a better way to use that number, is if your HRV is lower on that app that you're on the Garmin. Um, that you're using is if you had a really hard workout and it's on balanced land, you may want to adjust your workout right. so Make that you're not easier. putting it at under More as much stress. stress because your heart's not going to be able or your your body isn't going to be able to react to that training load okay. that you're okay. putting it under. Right. Another way to think of, and I think that's a great way of explaining it. Um, I think you could also use it um, not proactively, but like retroactively, you look and you say, okay, I went and did this workout yesterday mm-hmm. and now and I that heart, HRV balanced. dropped so low, I wasn't ready for that workout yet. Okay. Um, think about it. Like we could all go out and ride 120 miles tomorrow, right? We'd uh, s- <laughs> <laughs> Lots sure. of chamois cream. Um, <laughs> it's cold <yeah>. and rainy. <laughs> We'd destroy ourselves, mm-hmm. right? Realistically, what kind of benefit are you getting from that? Nothing. Nothing, right? And your HRV would probably show that very clearly. It would drop and it might take four, five, six days to recover back to your baseline. Mm-hmm. Where if we went out with a pro cyclist and did that same 120 mile ride with them, they're ready to go do 140 miles tomorrow, like the next mm-hmm. day. So um, their HRV would barely dip because they're accustomed to that workload. So you can use it to kind of zone in on that. What I, where I think the danger comes with it is like so many people do, they they hone in on one thing and use that to guide everything. And they mm-hmm. say like, okay, my HRV today is low. It needs to be an off day, mm-hmm. you know, and when maybe not, maybe yesterday just need to be easier. Um, maybe you just need to like dial things down a little bit. Like you're looking like, I like that long-term trend. What is mm-hmm. it like four week you can look yeah, at? You can look at four. four I think that's seven. whatever it is, but like, mm-hmm. I think that's the important thing. And if you see like, oh, for the last week, my numbers have been slowly dropping down. Okay. Well now your training stress might be a little too high. So dial things back. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like in a perfect world, if you had enough of that HRV data, like historically, I think you could get rid of the whole idea of like three weeks on a week off. You know, I think that's a very general sort of well, that's the way they've done it. So let's keep doing right, that, you, see you know, you but it's going to be different you, for, for every person because right. you might be stressed more at work at a particular week. Exactly. And then, so your HRVs, you're going to see it start to, to, to take mm-hmm. a dive and you're going to be like, okay, I, I know what I need to do. Yeah. And that's the, you know, mm-hmm. retroactive. Yep. So. But, uh, but I have used it to say, okay, it, it's taking a dive and I have this workout plan. How can I modify it? Mm-hmm. 
and there's take the um, stress off. So if you don't have a watch that does it, um, so like our watch, James will do it, but you have to put on a chest strap. Yeah, and it has to be like a pretty good one. It has to be one of the like a polar. The one you have will do it. The one you Garmin have probably, one, yeah. or the Polar H10 um, will do it. Um, the app for your phone is like maybe five or six bucks. It's called HRV for training. Um, the guy who built it is uh, out there on Twitter putting out tons of content and stuff and information about it. Uh, and it's super easy to use. You wake up in the morning, you hold your finger over your camera for a minute and it takes its reading. You can answer a couple of questions like, what was your training like? It'll pull stuff from training peaks also. So yeah. it'll, it'll know what your training was like. Um, and it'll say like, did you have any drinks? Were you injured? Like all that stuff. And it starts building this database and it builds eventually like you have in the Garmin, this baseline right. of where your number, it does take a while. Mm-hmm. And I, and that's like, it's one of those things, like if you're, if I'm working with an athlete for m- like long term, like month to year kind of time frame, then HRV is something I'm going to want to see from them. Um, if, if you come to me and you're like, I got, you know, eight weeks until, you know, my race, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it's, it, there's not enough time to get good data to meaningful data that we can yeah. do anything with. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's one of those unique things that if you paid a lot of attention to it, you can get really dialed into how you, and it goes back to what we've talked about this a bunch, getting a feel for things, right? Like you wake up sometimes and you're like, oh, I feel like garbage. Mm-hmm. Well, this will confirm that. Or maybe it'll say like, yeah, you feel a little bit tired, but you're, you're fine. Like you yeah. actually are okay and ready to go. And we've all had those workouts, right? You wake up and you're like, like I've dragged myself here for a bike ride. I don't know how many times. And then I get on the bike and I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm good. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. That first hill blow out some cobwebs and then let's go. Yeah. That happens to me at the track. I think every week it's like, I see the work. I'm like, oh, I, I'm just going to yeah. kind of mail it in today. And then I start doing it and then I'll right. have like the best workout I've had. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you need the confirmation from the HRV to be like, yes, I am ready to go. Like, I think it's more of the trend kind of thing. And I think it helps you dial in that training so that you're doing the appropriate amount of training. Like too many people try and overstretch and say like, I've got six weeks to get an Ironman shape and they dig themselves a hole and then they can't dig out of. Um, this allows you to figure out that appropriate amount of training for you. But it's one of the, you know, it's an extra thing to measure, an extra thing to think about. Uh, but I think there's a ton of value in HRV data. So, yeah. so it sounds like I mean, we, we went through all this data and there's no one metric you can use. Nope. Um, to get that complete picture. And at the same time, too, you have to understand the context of this data. Right. Um, you, it's, nothing's absolute. Nope. So really, I mean, I don't know what we may have solved or not. It's like you, I don't, you I need don't think all this data. Right, I don't think we've solved anything because think, data in a, by itself in a vacuum doesn't help you do anything. You, you, you Ultimately, you want enough information to make smart, actionable changes. Yeah. And what you need personally for that is going to be different for every person. Um, Hopefully we've given our listeners a good concept of what is out there and how to pay attention to it mm-hmm. in order to improve their training and fitness. And at the very least, at least just understand what's on your homepage of your Garmin Connect uh, screen. Right, yeah. to make better decisions because ultimately we're all short on time. So you want to make the best use of it. Yeah. And this will help you do that. Okay. That was a good one. Anybody got anything else to add? Any things we didn't talk about that should be talked about? Any word about almost an hour and a half? There might be. I just can't think of it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to think if there's anything that like, I kind of go down rabbit holes a lot and try and find out as much as I can about like, that's my 
guilty pleasure. Um, but I don't really, th- I think we kind of hit on, on the most important big ones. Uh, yeah. All right. So I think we're good. good. It's yeah. a wrap. It's mm-hmm. a wrap. All right. Thank you everybody for listening uh, to another long one. This is uh, James's favorite thing to listen to on his long rides and <laughs> yes. long runs. Um, if, uh, if you're not subscribed, please hit that subscribe button and give us a like. Some five-star reviews would be helpful. Uh, that really helps kind of with the algorithm, gets our, our podcast out there to more people so that they can share with the same information that uh, you found helpful. You can leave a comment. Um, if you, there's anything you'd like to see on the show, send us an email, you know, we've got, uh, we've got a list of things we want to go through, but we're always open to some new suggestions. And, uh, again, we just really thank you guys for listening and we'll see you next time. Take care, everybody. Have a great week. Bye guys. Bye.